I just think the music about heaven is the best of all. And I'm very thankful to the uh, praise team for their worship tonight, and especially for the uh, four guys that sang Swing Low, Sweet Chariot, because three of them didn't know until they got here about 5.30 that they were going to do that. That's how gifted our praise team is, and I'm grateful for that. I uh, have always wanted to sing with our praise team, and Ryan said that I was going to get to do a solo on uh, Old Rugged Cross here one of these days soon. Well, he didn't say that to me, but I heard him tell them I could sing with them on a hill far away. So (laughs) I'm looking forward to that, and I know you are too. There's a story about this fellow that worked for the government, and he's in his office, and he's bored, and he's not getting much done, and he sees in an old filing cabinet a lamp, and he picks it up, and he starts to polish it, and when he does, a genie appears and says, I want to grant you three wishes. And he's like, yeah, right. So he says, okay, I'd like an ice-cold Diet Coke. Well, poof, there's an ice-cold Diet Coke right there in his hand. So he thinks pretty quickly, well, I better be more careful with my next two. And so uh, he drinks the Diet Coke. Now he can think a little more clearly. He says, I'd like to be on a, a beautiful island surrounded by gorgeous women. And poof, there he was on this incredible beach with pretty women walking toward him. He looks to the genie and says, and for my third wish, I'd like to never have to work again. And poof, he was back in his government office. Um, (laughs) We've all had our I wish I was somewhere else moments. In fact, sometimes we fantasize so much about some place we'd rather be that if we ever get the chance to go there, it disappoints us because it wasn't everything we were expecting. I remember years ago when I lived in Abilene, I was asked to speak at Western Christian College. I had no idea where that was except they said it was in Canada. I said, I would love, I've always wanted to see Canada. I envisioned I was going to go up there and see Rocky Mountains and Bull Moose. Western Christian College is in Weyburn, Saskatchewan. Let me explain Weyburn, Saskatchewan. Think Kansas, a thousand miles north. It was nothing but flat, ugly wheat fields, as far as you could see. So I've had the experience, you have too, of a place you've wanted to see all your life, and you get there, and it doesn't deliver. But there's one place I want to see that will be even more than I can imagine. Imagine that. Well, that's what I'm going to try to get you to do tonight. Imagine that. In fact, the very first thing I want to uh, say tonight is we, we need to imagine more when it comes to heaven. That our future habitation merits some holy speculation. Now, what I mean by that is one of the comments I've heard the most in this series from people is, you know, I've never heard any in-depth teaching on heaven before. I've heard lots of sermons that have passing references to how great heaven will be, but I've never heard any teaching that really talks about what heaven will be like. Some of us in this room can remember years ago in Church of Christ, a very popular sermon went around called, What is Hell Like? Remember that? Well, it was probably, I didn't hear it, I'd heard of it, it's probably a good sermon, there's a time to talk about what hell would be like. But isn't it funny, we've got in our, in our heritage a lot of teaching on what hell is like. 
Go find a sermon anywhere called, What is Heaven Like? Maybe our fear of teaching incorrect views of heaven have led us to teach no view at all. Well, let me just say in one sense, all our views of heaven are incorrect. Because none of them are good enough. Uh, There's a story in the Old Testament. Solomon, at the height of his glory, is visited by a woman called the Queen of Sheba. And she comes to see his, his splendor and his majesty and to test him with regard to his wisdom. And she says to him, now, everything I heard about you is true. But, it, but it's not enough. Not half has been told of what I've actually seen. Now, that's how I feel about this series. It's not so much that I'm concerned that what I've taught isn't true, as much as everything I've taught is not enough. It's just half or less of all that we're going to come to understand when we get to heaven. The Apostle Paul talks about a revelation and a vision he was given. In 2 Corinthians 12, he says in verse 3 and 4, I know that this man, speaking of himself, whether in body or apart from body, I don't know, but God knows. But I know this man, this vision he got, he was caught up to paradise. And he heard inexpressible things. Things that man is not permitted to tell. In other words, he says, I'm not permitted to tell you everything I saw. But even if I was, I don't have the words for it. I saw things that are inexpressible. Human language isn't adequate to describe some things I saw. Now, Paul wasn't permitted to tell the things he saw. But John was commanded to. When John got a vision, he was commanded to write it down. In fact, at the end of the book, the angel specifically warns John, do not seal up this prophecy. God wants this prophecy and this vision, this revelation, to be read for generations to come. You see, we can't anticipate something if we're not allowed to imagine it. And so God has graciously given us some glimpses of heaven. And so throughout the centuries, Christians have tried to imagine heaven. It's an encouragement to us. It's one reason we write so many songs about heaven. And by the way, have you ever wondered who writes most of those songs? And do a little study here. You will find that most of your songs about heaven are written by oppressed people. There's a reason that the slaves wrote most of the spirituals. I remember the first time I visited an African-American congregation, I noticed about uh, halfway through the song service, every song we've sung, that's been about heaven. And I went back the next night, and the next night they were having a meeting, and almost every song we sang in this very poor congregation in a bad part of town was about heaven. Now, I think you'll find that pretty much all over the world. That's what I found in Africa. In fact, uh, go ahead and roll a little clip of a video that when I was in the South Africa, we went to this one little hamlet, and I was teaching there in one of the homes of the believers, about 70 or 80 people there. And the custom is when they leave, you start to sing a song, and everybody files by everybody. Listen real closely. You'll hear them say, Jerusalem. singing Haiti Jerusalem the words of the song are I'm going to live in the new Jerusalem 
And that's a very important thing to affirm, especially if you could see where they live now. And you find that throughout history that the dispossessed, the disenfranchised especially, need to imagine heaven. To imagine what it's going to be like. Even though all of our best thoughts are inadequate. Even though the finest and grandest dreams we have about heaven aren't good enough, we still need to try to imagine that. And so, as long as we're not dogmatic or arrogant, I think there's a place for sanctified imagination. Tonight, I want you just to imagine with me at least three things about heaven as we look at it. First, just imagine the city of heaven. Because heaven is called the city. Fifteen times in the last two chapters of the Bible. The Hebrew writer said the same thing. Chapter 11, verse 16 of Hebrews says, talking of the patriarchs, they were longing for a better country, a heavenly one. Therefore God is not ashamed to be called their God, for He has prepared a city for them. In chapter 13, verse 14, the same writer writes, We do not have an enduring city, but we're looking for the city that is to come. The capital city of heaven is going to be called the New Jerusalem. Now, will there be other cities on the new earth? Think about that for a moment. In the parable of the talents, Jesus clearly says in Luke 19 to one of the servants, you get to manage five, ten cities. He says to another, I'm going to put you in charge of five cities. The, the New Jerusalem has gates where people are coming in and out according to Revelation 21:26. So maybe the New Jerusalem isn't going to be the only city on the new earth. But it is going to be the main city. And it is going to be a very impressive place. Not the least of which is going to be its massiveness. Just try to imagine what we're about to read. Chapter 21, starting in verse about 15. Excuse me, verse 14. The wall of the city had 12 foundations, and on them were the names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. The angel who talked with me had a measuring rod of gold to measure the city, its gates, and its walls. The city was laid out like a square as long as it was wide. He measured the city with the rod and found it to be 12,000 stadia. That's about 14. 1,400 miles. Okay? This city was 1,400 miles in length and as wide and as high as it was long. He measured its walls. And it was 144 cubits thick by, notice, by man's measurement, which the angel was using. Now, if this is a real city... And those are its real dimensions. How else could God write it to convince us he's talking about a real place? By man's measurements. This city is 1,400 miles long and wide and high. That city's got room for lots of people. Get used to that. Heaven's going to be a place of overwhelming community with diversity. It says the nations are going to bring their glory into this city. It's going to have everything we love about cities. Culture, art, music, excitement, foods from all over the world, of all the cultures. But it's not going to have any of the things we hate about cities. Potholes and smog and crime and filth. And when we come into this city, we're going to have tributes to notice. It says the walls 
or the gates rather, are going to have the names of the 12 tribes on them. Why do you think that's important? I'm just speculating. I think God wants us to remember his plan. The plan to raise up a nation called Israel through a man called Abraham. A plan that begun centuries ago. So I think every time we come into the new city, we're going to remember God's plan begun centuries ago through a people called the Jews to, to bring through about a deliverer. And then it says that walls of that city are going to have on it the names of the twelve apostles. God wants us to remember them. How come? Remember Jesus said, I pray for them also and all that will believe through them. Ephesians 2.20 says that the church is built on the foundation of the apostles. It's their teachings and their testimony passed down to us that brings us the word of knowledge. And so this city is going to have tributes to these great men. But the most impressive thing about this city is that God will live there. The city comes down out of heaven and someone's going to say with a loud voice, now God will dwell with them. Did you notice something very interesting about this city? It's a perfect cube. It's just as long as it is wide as it is high. You say, why does that matter? Okay, now think with me for a second. What's the only other cube mentioned in the Bible? There was a room in the temple. Do you remember this? 20 cubits by 20 cubits by 20 cubits. What was that room called? The Holy of Holies. Where did God live? He lived there. What's the point? The point is, remember he says in chapter 21 a little later, I didn't see a temple in the city. You know why? The whole city is a temple. The whole city is the Holy of Holies. And you get to make your residence in the very presence of God. That's What's exciting about this city? No wonder Abraham never settled down. The Bible says he just, he just couldn't settle down. He was looking for another city. When you, when, you, when you got your heart set on a city like this, well, you're going to be a pilgrim all your life. So just imagine, imagine the new Jerusalem, the city that God is bringing to us. And then try to imagine what I'm calling the safety of heaven. Now, you might wonder, why does this city need walls? Well, I think the walls are a statement about the absolute security that we're going to enjoy in heaven. Now, when Jesus comes back, first time he came as Savior, next time he comes back as judge and as warrior, and, and he is going to destroy his enemies. Now, let me just tell you something. When God destroys his enemies, there is going to be no possibility for a sequel. Okay? Because today, in all of our good stories, anytime you destroy the bad guy, they always leave room for a sequel. The bad guy always finds a way to come back. In this story, there is no sequel. And so it says, Revelation 21, 25, On no day will its gates ever be shut, for there will be no night there. Now, even Disneyland, which builds itself as the happiest place on earth, closes its gates at night. But this city doesn't have to. It needs no security checkpoints. It needs no metal detectors because it says nothing impure will ever enter it. The only concept or thought of sin you will ever have in heaven is when you see the scars on Jesus. Now what does this mean? 
Let's just kind of imagine for a second. What this means, folks, is that we are finally one day going to live without worry. What is the greatest joy stealer right now in our lives? It's worry. We worry because there are things we care about that we can't guarantee will be safe. Our health, our kids, our fortune, our ministry. Maybe you heard the story about the guy that was so upset all the time and anxious, he making himself sick. His buddies got real concerned, but they saw him one day walking down the street. He looked great, man. He was beaming. He was healthy looking. Skin tone was good. Man, what happened to you? He said, I have hired someone to do all my worrying for me. They said, you can do that? Sure can. What's it cost? $10,000 a month. They said, how can you afford that? He said, that's his worry. Well, what the, the writer is trying to say is the day is going to come when you're going to say, I don't have to worry anymore. Now, think with me. Just imagine, let your, let your mind wander for a second, how that is going to change how you talk to Jesus. 85% of your talking to Jesus now is need-oriented. Isn't that true? Most of what we say to God now is need-oriented. We are going to have to learn a whole new way to talk to Jesus. Because when you get to heaven and all the safety issues are taken care of and all the worries are taken away, you don't have needs and concerns to bring up anymore. So you're going to have to learn to talk to Jesus about all the reasons he's cool. (laughs) And all the reasons you love your new home. That's hard to imagine, isn't it? And then think with me for a moment about the beauty of heaven. You've probably heard the story that the dad with his little girl and they were outside looking up at the starry sky and she said, oh daddy, if the wrong side of heaven is this pretty, what's the other side got to look like? See, John's vision boggles the mind as he tries to describe the materials God is going to use to build the new city. Read Revelation 21 with me, and I'm just going to go ahead right now and ask your forgiveness for some of the pronunciations that follow. Starting in verse 18. The wall was made of jasper and the city of pure gold, as pure as glass. The foundations of the city walls were decorated with every kind of precious stone. The first foundation was jasper, the second sapphire, the third chalcedony, the fourth emerald, the fifth sardonyx. The sixth chameleon, the seventh chrysolite, the eighth beryl, the ninth topaz, the tenth chrysophase, the eleventh jacinth, the twelfth amethyst. The twelve gates were twelve pearls, each gate made of a single pearl. The great street of the city was of pure gold. Like transparent glass. Now, I know exactly what we have done with this for years. We've read that figuratively. Now, why do we do that? Seems kind of crass, doesn't it? All that expensive, beautiful stuff. Why? 
Do you remember back in the pre-fall Eden, as it's described with the rivers going through it, there was gold in the land and the gold was good and there was also precious metals. To live in a land or a place surrounded by expensive, precious gems and metals is not wrong in itself. The problem was that these things became temptations when our nature was corrupted by sin. In heaven, all these beautiful things God has made will be our servants again and not our masters. In fact, John's picture implies that all of Eden is going to be restored. In fact, this holy city is going to have a central park. Take a moment and look at it with me. Chapter 22. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, as clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and the Lamb, down the middle of the great street of the city. On each side of the river stood the tree of life, bearing twelve crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month, and the leaves of the trees are for the healing of the nations. We were designed by God. We were made in the image of God to live in paradise, not to live in a fallen world. We were made for the new earth. And it's being prepared for us to live in again. Years ago, Da Vinci's famous picture, The Last Supper, was in need of restoration. It was marred by mildew. The typical person like me didn't have the faculties to even appreciate its greatness. And the artist was gone. When God brings us into the new heavens and the new earth, He's going to restore His work of art. The curse is going to be lifted. We're going to have new bodies and glorified minds so that we're able to appreciate the genius of the Creator. But the best thing of all is that the artist is going to live in the neighborhood. In fact, God is going to be the most beautiful thing about heaven. I don't know if you've thought much about that. Where does beauty come from? Beauty comes from God. We sing a song, you are beautiful beyond description. That's not poetry, that's absolute truth. God will be beautiful to behold. And we will never get tired at gazing at Him. When Marco Polo made his tour of China, and he came back to the Western world, and he told his stories. He was accused of being a liar and a fabricator. And on his deathbed, the official church told him to recant of his wild tales if he had any hope of going to heaven. And Marco Polo said, I have not told half of what I saw. It will be more than we can imagine. But that shouldn't stop us from trying. 
And so my, my word to you as I close is think about heaven. Try to imagine what God is preparing for us. And here's, here's why. Because high expectation will keep me from being a low life. The Bible says heaven needs to be our big fix. Fix your eyes, it says, on the world to come. In um, Tolkien's story, The Hobbit, the prequel to uh, the Lord of the Rings trilogy, Bilbo Baggins and his crew were walking through a dark and scary forest filled with all kinds of creatures that frightened them. And they want to get out of the forest and they wonder how much further they have to walk. And, and so someone says to Bilbo, climb a tree. And he begins to climb and he almost falls and he scratches himself and he's fearful and he finally gets above the top of the tree. And when he does, he sees a brilliant blue sky and he sees a verdant green canopy and he's overwhelmed at how gorgeous it is. And the sunlight begins to soak his body and make him feel good. And what happens was he found his fears dissipate. He found increased strength for the journey because he got above all the hardness of life below. And he got a glimpse of what was beyond. That is why God gives you glimpses of heaven. He doesn't want you settling for a low life. Folks, history doesn't determine your destiny. I mean your identity. Your destiny does. Where you've been isn't who you are. Where you're going is who you are. The scripture says, Colossians 3, 1 and 2. Since you've been raised to new life with Christ. Set your sights on the realities of heaven. Where Christ sits at God's right hand in the place of honor and power. Let heaven fill your thoughts. And do not think only about things down here on earth. Focus on heaven. And you know what? You'll start enjoying the high life right now. Imagine that. Let's pray. God, help us. Help us to be bold in our holy imaginings of what you have prepared. We confess, God, that every thought we have about you and the home you've prepared is inadequate. Not wrong. So much as it's just not enough. But God, it's good to imagine. It's good to, it's good to wonder. It's good to dream about what you've prepared. Just one glimpse, our first glimpse, God. And immediately we will wonder why we cared so much about that which doesn't last. Grant to us tonight a better ability to prioritize. As we think about all the things we'll deal with tomorrow, help us to imagine which of these things deserves the about-to-be-burned tag? And which of them deserve the this-will-last-forever tag? And help us to focus more of our best on the latter.
thank you for glimpses. But God, the, the thing that we want to see most of all is your face. And we can't wait for that day. We pray it comes soon. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Elders and ministers will be in room 109 to pray with people today. Maybe you have a burden that's keeping your focus on things below. Go and let them lift that through prayer. I'll be down front if anyone tonight would like to be baptized. Just come and.